Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Gleam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger. And today I have the special privilege of a podcaster that I have been listening to for a long time, Miss um, Lacey Dunn. I'm so excited for you to be on the podcast today. Um, she is, I'm just going to brag on you a little bit and tell our listeners what um, you all do. So um, if you are not familiar with what Lacey does, she is a dietitian and she is absolutely breaking the mold of what a dietitian is. She is a fitness professional, a bodybuilder, and her mission is to educate others on evidence-based nutrition by promoting a healthy, sustainable lifestyle through flexible dieting. And so she believes that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach, which we at Glam Girl Bikini are totally about the unicorn prep. Everyone's an individual, so I really, really support uh, what you are all about and um, how you promote self-efficacy through food choices and um, just fostering those healthy habits for behavioral change. So she is the owner of a Lift Fit Nutrition, as well as the host and founder of Uplift Fit <laughs> Nutrition Radio, as I had mentioned. And um, why don't you start, Lacey? We are going to kind of dive into thyroid and gut health, as I know that you're um, starting an educational online. Um, has that started yet, or is that people are able to register for that right now? Yeah, so I just started my online course, Exposing the Root, which is about exposing your the root cause of your thyroid and gut health issues and helping you to take your health back into your own hands. That released, um, I think, a week and a half, two weeks ago, and so that is currently um, about to get started. We have all the lectures going up on December 6th. Awesome. Okay, so it's just around the corner. Very good. Yeah. Well, I wanted to have you share with our listeners a little bit about your journey and what um, brought about your interest primarily in thyroid and gut health and what was kind of the driver behind that? Yeah. So first off, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to be on the other side of the mic. <laughs> Typically, I'm the one asking the questions. So this is really, this is really great, great opportunity. Uh, so in regards to thyroid health specifically, so I did my dietetic internship, completed my master's degree, and was an online trainer full-time. All of that was a lot, a lot, a lot. And I really burnt myself out. And unfortunately, when it comes to burnout, when it comes to cortisol and stress, what can happen is you can trigger your thyroid for going into a what's called a thyroid storm. And this can happen with Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune form of hypothyroidism, or it can even happen with just normal, non-autoimmune hypothyroidism. So unfortunately, I'm genetically predisposed to um, stress being a demon for my body, and unfortunately, I shot my thyroid in the foot. So that means that I developed hypothyroidism. Um, so what really fostered my my passion for thyroid health is going through my own issues and really being able to be in the same the same boat as everybody else who's frustrated and confused 
and not knowing what's going on, how to help themselves, or getting any answers or help from any doctors. So I've been there. I, I, I completely understand what everybody's going through, and I want to help people in being able to be able to know what's going on with their body, why is it the way that it is, giving them the tools and the knowledge and the strategies they need to take their health back into their own hands and being able to understand what is going on in their body because there's nothing worse than feeling like you're a victim in your own body and not understanding what's going on. There's nothing worse than that. So I want to give people the education, the tools, the knowledge, the strategies in order to take their health back and be able to understand and not feel like they're, they're not living inside their body. So that's what really makes me so passionate about thyroid health is going through my own issues and trying to help people from not going through the thing. I love that. That's awesome. And I too, um, suffer from hypothyroidism as well. And do you find that it's prevalent amongst um, competitors um, that this is a, a really big issue? And if so, uh, why do you think that is? Yes, I, I find it very much a big issue because when we're dieting, we are depleting our levels of T4 and T3 in our body. So T4 is the inactive form of thyroid hormone. T3 is the active form of thyroid hormone. So when we have that, we have also reduction of hormone levels in our body, especially as women, estrogen and progesterone. Um, and then we also have alterations that can happen with anybody that potentially may be on any supplements that are a little bit bad for them. So there's a lot of things that can change us in regards to physiology in our body, but also psychologically, we can have a lot of stress with competing, right? It's extremely stressful, both on our body and our mind. So people can develop a hypothyroidism state. Doesn't necessarily mean they have hypothyroidism, but they have depleted levels of thyroid hormones. So I see that very much common in competitors. And that's a whole other reason I say, like, post-show, wait to get your blood work done for at least two months after show because, of course, those levels are going to be low after show anyway. Right. Very good advice. Yeah. So if somebody were, you know, post-show, they're, they've kind of been in an improvement season, what are some telltale signs that they should look for um, to maybe consider testing their thyroid? Yeah, so the most important things to look for are that thinning hair and hair loss. Um, Now, keep in mind, that is going to also be stress-related, and it tends to show up months after the stressor. So if you have that prep, Mm -hmm. that hair loss is potentially going to show up three to six months after your prep. Keep that in mind. Okay. The hair loss, loss of eyebrow hair, specifically on the sides of your face, Um, a puffy face or enlargement of um, under your eyes or near your thyroid, which is called enlarged thyroid, having a slow heartbeat, so a low resting heart rate, Um, changes in your appetite or your digestion, such as having constipation um, or or not feeling like fullness with any meals or even potentially not ever feeling hungry, infertility specifically, Um, and then having cold hands and feet and then swelling of your hands and feet as well. Um, Other things that people have our elevated cholesterol levels, brain fog, and trouble sleeping. Mm, okay. So, so with brain fog, I mean, like, poor memory, not knowing, like, what's going on. And there's, like, a haze, what I call kind of like prep brain, but it's prep brain that, like, continues to go on. So that's a huge one I find. Okay. So if somebody is kind of seeing these things pop up, what is their best next step um, 
you know, who should they go to? What kind of tests should they they get done? Yeah, so the most important thing you can do is first go to your primary care doctor and establish a relationship with them and be like, hey, these are my symptoms. This is what I'm going through. This is what I potentially think may be going on. Um, because when it comes down to conventional medicine, doctors will not test for the most part, unless you have symptoms that match that test, because that's what they use for reimbursement. So you have to keep that in mind. But I like to say, work with your practitioner, make sure you are getting a full thyroid panel. That means TSH, free T3 and free T4, reverse T3, getting your hormones tested. So that's, that includes estradiol, progesterone, testosterone, potentially DHEA sulfate, and then checking your TPO and TGAB antibodies. Um, and then two other things that I like people to also check are vitamin D and then doing iron labs, specifically because I do know most of the population tends to be vitamin D deficient, and those symptoms can also kind of seem like symptoms of hypothyroidism or having low hormone levels as well. Okay. That's really good. Uh, as far as your... So let's say you do those tests, and um, I know that I've I've heard you talk in other podcasts about how there are certain levels that um, functional medicine doctors kind of have different standards than um, your traditional uh, medicine. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, so conventional medicine, they go off of TSH. That is the... The marker that they like. And the problem is TSH is only a pituitary marker. It's it's a signal to your thyroid telling it to increase or decrease levels of thyroid hormone. However, it does not tell you what is active or floating around in the serum or active in the cells of your body. So TSH is only going to be that pituitary measure, and that's the problem. Doctors are just checking, just checking TSH. Another issue, doctors say that anything... TSH from like 0.1 to 5 is normal. Well, that's not the case because that's just a TSH marker. And also, having a normal TSH does not tell us if we're having normal T4 or T3 levels. So that is critical. And then another thing is that a lot of different doctors are using that TSH to establish whether they want to check for Hashimoto's or not. So doctors, it's in the, the endocrinologist standards to check for TPO antibodies when TSH is at 10. And the problem is TPO antibodies, TGAB antibodies, the Hashimoto's antibodies, they can be high regardless if even T4 and T3 are normal. So that's still telling you that you have an active infection, you're still having the molecular mimicry, you're still having attack of your thyroid tissue. So it's really important to rule that out even if everything else looks normal. And would you say that Hashimoto's is one of the more common types of hypothyroidism that you see? Um, yes, yes. Hypothyroidism is the, the leading cause of hypothyroidism in the United States. It affects, right now, hypothyroidism affects one in 10 women, and it is most likely seen with Hashimoto's. Women are affected even 10 times more than men. So Hashimoto's is very much prevalent in the United States, um, and unfortunately, it's a, in a growing rate as well. And I think that's because of everything we've got going on in the United States with increasing environmental toxins, increasing poor skin care, laundry products, fragrances, all this stuff, kind of creating like a 
a storm for the body, increasing the overall stress level, um, creating liver damage, all that stuff. Can you talk about the liver and the the role that that plays um, in your conversions? Yeah, so the liver is heavily in charge of T4 and T3 conversion. But not only that, the liver is in charge of detoxifying um, different, whether that be synthetic estrogens, pesticides, anything we walk through day-to-day lives. It's in charge of um, your master antioxidants, so glutathione and being able to move your different nutrients from inactive forms to active forms. So there's a lot of things your liver is in charge of doing, but improper liver health is going to significantly decrease the the conversion of your thyroid hormone from that inactive to your active form. And it's also going to have force you to have reduced clearance of all those environmental toxins, including reduced clearance of your estrogens. And so having improper liver health is going to be detrimental to anybody. Um, and it's really important with Hashimoto's specifically because when we're looking at the liver, the liver is going to be the most important thing in regards to helping clear all that out. And so when I'm looking at liver health, it's not like, oh, I want you to go on a detox. I What I want is people to focus on fueling their liver with healthy vitamins and minerals and making sure that they're looking at the things that they're eating, um, the things they're putting on their face, the things that they're washing with, just being mindful what can affect their liver and what they can do to help. I love that. So if you were to share with our listeners um, some top best foods to just optimize thyroid, um, what would you say that those were? I know that's kind of (laughs) five foods. That's um, not very many, but if there's something that would that they could do proactively to um, benefit and um, the thyroid? Yeah, of course. So there is no hypothyroid diet. You will, people will see that there is hypothyroid diet. You know, people claim um, you need to go low to no carb. You need to do the STD diet. You need to do Whole30. You need to do the GAPS diet, which is the gut and psychology syndrome diet. AIP, paleo, all these things. Well, there is no one best hypothyroid diet. The hypothyroid diet is going to be what is going to help remove your food intolerances, what is going to help reduce your inflammation, and what is going to provide you with the vitamins and minerals you need in order to thrive. So I say focus on increasing versus decreasing for the most part. So increase your fruits, your vegetables, your omega-3 based fatty acids, because those are going to help combat inflammation. So things like chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, salmon, almonds, avocado, eggs, and then increasing your lean protein, your fiber intake, and then whole grains for some people. Now, with hypothyroidism, though, there are people that are heavily susceptible to thyroid damage based on specific uh, foods, and this is because of molecular mimicry in which the foods they create antibodies, and it looks like a virus or bacteria to the body. And so that creates autoimmune attacks, which creates damage even further to the thyroid as well as other organs in the body. Kind of, kind of like celiac disease in which um, the gluten in the body causes autoimmune attacks and damage and destruction of the body's tissues. So for a lot of people, that elimination does include having to eliminate things like gluten, soy, wheat, 
and then sometimes dairy. Now, it is very much person-by-person dependent. That's why I, when I'm working with my clients, I go off of their symptoms, um, and we only try to eliminate what we need to eliminate. However, saying that, I do heavily see that people need to eliminate gluten and wheat and soy in order to really feel better. Um, other things that I suggest people doing are limiting, re- well, can't talk, limiting refined grains, added sugars, processed vegetable oils, because those can be inflammatory, um, processed meat, and alcohol. Alcohol can be quite a demon for your liver, as well as inflammation in your body, and it's a well-known carcinogen. So I tell people, reduce the amount of alcohol, reduce the added sugars, reduce the refined grains, really focus on that whole food-based diet, and ask yourself, does this food make me feel good? Does this food have more nutrients? And if the answer is yes, then it might be a good food. But another thing to keep in mind when it comes down to diet is one of the leading causes of hypothyroidism in Hashimoto's is having leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And if you have that leaky gut or that intestinal permeability, then it might seem like you have all these food intolerances. But what's really happening is it's not that you are intolerant to all those foods. It's just that you have that leaky gut and that intestinal permeability allowing those tight junctions to open up and letting everything flow in to your bloodstream everything causing that inflammation so everything is going to seem like it's a food intolerance and what you have to do is you have to seal that gut up you have to focus on healing your gut and then you'll be able to actually accurately see what foods you're actually intolerant to so can you sorry that was really that was a lot (laughs) i know i want to unwrap that a little bit because that was a lot of really good information so let's start with gluten um, can you dive into that a little bit more and why the body, how the body recognizes that and some of the things that can happen with the leaky gut and how that gluten can kind of affect that situation? Yeah, so gluten, two things. Gluten can cause attack of the thyroid via that cellular, that molecular mimicry. And then another thing it can do is it can um, increase levels of lipopolysaccharide, which that as well as zonulin having high levels it breaks up the tight junctions in your intestines and then it allows the good and the bad to flow into your bloodstream so i like to tell people think of those tight junctions like a door so we want that door closed and we want it opening up to allow the good into your bloodstream well when we have those tight junctions that are opening up and broken up then we have the good and the bad going through that door and that increase that creates the inflammation that creates um food intolerances that creates thyroid storms that creates overall inflammation and it just creates a storm for a day-to-day life and of course digestive system um symptoms so that gluten for a lot of people can cause that to happen um, and not everybody responds that way. Some people can have a little bit of gluten, but I do see for the most part, specifically with Hashimoto's, the most important thing that you can do is go gluten-free. So what are some ways that people can transition? I know I've heard of like cassava flour and um, things like that. What are some, if somebody has leaky gut and hypothyroidism, what are some good go-to type of carbs and things other than aside from vegetables and fruits like you had mentioned um, you said whole grains as well. Um, anything else that you recommend? 
Yeah, so when we're looking at transitioning to being gluten-free, thank gosh, nowadays there are so many options. It's literally endless nowadays. But the most important thing is you have to look at your labels, you have to recognize what is gluten, what can be in gluten, and you have to recognize cross-contamination. This is huge, specifically when people are going out to eat, because just because something is labeled as gluten-free doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be gluten-free, because think about it, when you're, when you're at like Subway or you're at a different restaurant, people are switching gloves, they're not washing their hands, they're using the same place, the same knife, all this stuff, so there's cross-contamination that happens, so people have to keep that in mind, but the biggest thing that you can do is download um, all these resources for what is gluten, what can you do to go gluten-free, and for the most part, you know, it, it comes down to looking for that certified gluten-free label on products, and then, of course, going for natural gluten-free foods, so fruits, vegetables, potatoes, um, all those things, fats, all these things are going to be gluten-free, so that's important to keep in mind, and then when it comes down to helping to uh, cure I would not cure, but helping to help with that intestinal permeability, I use the 4R approach. So that includes remove, replace, re-inoculate, and repair. So that means removing anything that's causing these issues, whether that be allergies, intolerances, infections, like SIBO or yeast infections, replacing pancreatic enzymes, digestive enzymes, pentachloric acid, whatever you need. Um, and this is all person-by-person dependent, so never just try and do this yourself. Okay. Um, when we re-inoculate, so re-inoculating with probiotics, specifically because when you go to remove, some people have to totally remove everything via things like a biofilm disruptor or antibiotic. Um, and then repair is the most important one, which means helping to repair that intestinal lining. And that is important for sealing the gut as well as repairing any damage that you potentially caused. Uh, and then number five that I throw in is always, you can always soothe the gut. So, you know, you can add in things that make your tummy feel better. So you're looking at aloe water, bone broth, glutamine, marshmallow root, things like that. I was just going to ask about what your thoughts were on glutamine and glutamine loads. I love glutamine. Okay. Glutamine good. is amazing for your gut. It's also really good for healing um, muscle tissue damage. So I'm a big fan of glutamine. Um, other things that are really, really good for repairing the gut are um, collagen and zinc carnosine. I love zinc carnosine. It is fabulous for helping with intestinal permeability. And that's a supplement? That you yes, can... it is. Okay. And another thing that's really good, but I only suggest doing this if people have their gut tested, um, is you can take oral IgG. Um, so that will help if somebody has low secretory IgA, which is basically telling you that you have an infection or you have reduced immunity in your gut. So let's go into that. Uh, just your thoughts on food sensitivity tests and um, elimination diets, how to test your gut to know what what it is that you have to target trying to get to that root cause. So what are some things that people need to do? First of all, I guess let's start with what are some symptoms that they might feel if they could possibly have leaky gut or some sort of candida or um, parasite or whatever it may be in the gut? Yes. Ugh. So all these symptoms, and this is why I say test, don't guess, a lot of these symptoms can seem like something when they're not really that. So, for example, like it can seem like it may be candida, but it might be SIBO. So you have to make sure that you're 
focusing on testing and not guessing because all these different infections, all these different problems, they require a specific approach. So I am not a fan of food intolerance testing. And this is specifically because they're using IgG-based tests and antibodies in order to look at what you potentially could be reactive to. And the problem with this is that IgG is a marker of basically exposure. So it's telling you how much you have been exposed to a specific food, and that increases the antibodies in your body. So that means that the more you've had eggs in your your diet, the more you've had wheat in your diet, you can have higher levels of IgG. Well, that's going to show up on that food intolerance test, and that's going to say, hey, you're intolerant to that, which is not true. So it's really important that when you're looking at food intolerance tests, you can use a few food intolerance tests, but you have to take it with a grain of salt. And the most important thing you can do is a elimination diet. So that means playing around with eliminating things, adding that back in, and seeing how your digestion changes, your symptoms change. When it comes down to testing, I'm a huge fan of gut stool tests. I love the GI stool map. It can be a little bit expensive, but it'll rule out things like candida, H. pylori, parasites. It'll also tell you the amount of beneficial and opportunistic bacteria in your gut. And then it also go into things like if you have low pancreatic enzymes, if you have low secretory IgA, if you may have intestinal permeability, or if you don't have intestinal permeability, because you can have infections without having intestinal permeability. Ugh. Intestinal permeability. So I'm all about testing. Um, and that's going to be the best thing that anybody can do. Uh, with the symptoms, though, um, when we're looking at symptoms, we're looking at, are you always bloated? Do you have chronic constipation? Diarrhea? Do you have skin issues? Because that can be manifested from the gut. Do you have hormonal or thyroid imbalances? Um, when you eat a food, do you have bloating two hours after, or is it right after you eat? Are you always having digestive distress? Do you have pain or is it just bloating? So there's a lot of different things when it comes down to digestive issues you have to keep in mind. But I like to tell people, if you don't feel good, if you have brain fog, if you have reduced mental clarity, if you have joint pains, muscle aches, skin issues, all that can heavily be a sign that you're having gut issues because 80% of our immunity is in our gut. 20% of our thyroid conversion happens in our gut. Our gut is our second brain, so it is connected to our gut-brain axis, so that's going to heavily influence how your neurotransmitters are affecting your brain and how you're developing um, all those different cognition processes in your brain, so it's very important, and it's very important to recognize that, for the most part, most people have some sort of a gut issue, some sort. Do you feel like, does the gut issue does that is that like the the starter of this or is it like you have hypothyroidism and then you tend to see the gut problems or they both just go ways. hand in hand both ways yeah because okay. that intestinal permeability can increase that inflammation and cause that hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's with infections as well or well we because hypothyroidism it slows down your gut processes it slows down everything everything in your body it will reduce the amount of hydrochloric acid pumped out. It will reduce the pancreatic enzymes, and it will reduce that, those bile acids. So then you're going to have slowed digestion. You're going to have slowed clearance of estrogen outside of your body. And then you're going to have slow 
um, slowed liver and bile output, which all means that you have increased risk even more for infection. Because with that SIBO and the candida, when you have backup in your stomach, so with that constipation, that all that food just sits and ferments in your gut, that fermentation is what can lead to those infections and the overgrowth and then further creating nutrition deficiencies as well. So it really, it goes both ways. And that's why it's really important to get your thyroid levels back to normal as soon as you can to prevent that even further infection. That's good. Um, so as far as medications, what are your thoughts on thyroid medication? And um, do you feel like these things that you talked about with the gut and um, just trying to optimize your nutrition and supplementation, getting tested, all of that. What are your thoughts on medication? Um, is that something that you recommend? Are there certain kinds that are better in s certain situations? 100%. So there are different types of hypothyroid medications. So there are T4 only. There are desiccated thyroid hormones, which essentially means it's made from porcine pig glands. And that includes T4 and T3, as well as some T2, T1, um, and then T3 only medications. So the problem is a lot of practitioners, they start with T4 only, and they start at low doses. So the problem is that this can keep somebody in a hypothyroid state for a long period of time. But the, another problem is that if somebody has conversion issues and they are not able to convert to oh, T4 to T3. Hang on one second. I, I couldn't hear you very well. It was kind of muffled. Sorry. Okay. Okay, now so I can hear you. If somebody, if somebody has conversion issues uh -huh. and they are not able to convert that T4 to T3, giving somebody just a T4 only medication can actually create even worse of a problem because then that T4 is converting to reverse T3 and it's further increasing inflammation and also not making them feel any better. So it's all about testing figuring out what's going on in somebody's body. And if they have conversion issues, they're going to need some desiccated thyroid hormone, potentially even T3-only hormones. Okay. Another thing to keep in mind is these different medications, they all have different fillers and ingredients in them. So Synthroid, Lavoxyl, Thyroxine, all these things, they can have different levels of lactose. They can have um, sucrose, artificial um, fillers. So that's oh, really geez. important because some people have a reaction to them. Right. Um, so some people need something like tyrosine, which has zero fillers in it. So really important to keep in mind, people have different reactions to different medications. And then of course, everybody's medications um, are going to be different for what they need and what's going to make them feel better. Um, so another thing to keep in mind when you're looking at medications is just because your serum levels may look normal, that may not be your normal. So every single person has their own optimal, right? Mm -hmm. So how somebody feels on one level of T4, T3 in their blood may not be what somebody else needs for T4, T3. So it's all about making sure that you're focusing on what are your symptoms? And if you don't feel better, something's still wrong. It could be you need more medication. It could be you need less medication because having too much can put you in a hyperthyroid state. Or it may be that you're having cortisol issues that are blocking the absorption of that thyroid going into the cells of your body. Let's talk about cortisol and the adrenals and just the HPA access in general. 
axis is what I'm going to say. <laughs> um, I know that that obviously all correlates and it's all connected. So can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, so stress is the devil. Stress activates your sympathetic nervous system or your flight or flight response. And it shifts different steroids and hormonal pathways to further increase cortisol levels. Now, we want cortisol. We want it and we need it for actual every single day-to-day processes. We need it to help decrease inflammation. We need it for muscle protein synthesis. We need it for absorbing the thyroid into the cell. But having too much actually blocks that. So then we have reduced clearance of T4 to T3 conversion. We have blockage of actually even getting in the thyroid hormone into the cell, which creates what's called cellular hypothyroidism. We have further inflammation, decreased recovery, decreased immunity, slow digestion. Uh, We have decreased inflammation, increased anxiety, and, of course, sleep issues. Um, So with the HPA axis, what's really important is knowing that that hypothalamic pituitary axis, when one thing goes wrong, many times something else will. So I like to say your hormones are like a symphony. If one thing goes wrong, the whole entire performance is ruined. So cortisol tends to be the biggest demon for creating that happening. Um, And it can trigger a multitude of different thyroid and hormonal issues. Do you find that uh, amenorrhea tends to happen with people that are hypothyroid? Heavily, yes. Because when you're hypothyroid, you have decreased levels of thyroid hormone, and then you have decreased energy production, ATP, and your body's not going to want to reproduce when it is in a low energy state. It's going to want to conserve. So if things, stress is stress, right? So there, if there, the body thinks that anything a tiger is running at it, the last thing it's, it's going to want to do is digest the food mm-hmm. or reproduce. Exactly. So the body's not going to go, oh, hey, let's have a baby. <laughs> no, the body's going to be like, this is not a good time to have a baby. This is going to shut down your menstrual cycle, your fertility. Yeah, for sure. So what are some lifestyle adjustments and habits people can kind of gravitate to um, to keep that health in their uh for their adrenals and cortisol and all of that regulated. Yeah. So I tell people sleep is one of the most important things. So getting adequate sleep, staying active, but not too active. So if you have cortisol issues, then you're going to have to drastically reduce the amount of activity that you're doing, specifically high intensity activity. So then you'll want to focus on stress reduction, nourishing activities like yoga, walking, being in nature, focusing on overall stress reduction, fixing your environment, whether that's environmental toxicities or social or um, mental toxicities. So I'm, I'm talking to you guys who have friends who are toxic. Um, So fixing your environment and then focusing on love and laughter. That is huge. There is so much power in decreasing overall inflammation by being happy, by laughing, by boosting that oxytocin. So if you can, you know, go have sex, go have fun, <laughs> Absolutely. be a human. <laughs> um, so out of the whole gut, thyroid, root cause, all of that, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you could share with our listeners that would be really key in um, helping them kind of get to the root cause of things? 
Yeah. So I definitely say test, don't guess for the mo- for every single person. Um, but I do want to give your listeners a little bit of things that they can do if they potentially know what's going on. So for inflammation, you can always take curcumin omega-3s, bromelain, or ginger. For poor liver health, you can take N-acetylcysteine, milk thistle, DIM, or glutathione, which N-acetylcysteine is actually like the precursor to glutathione. But, of course, some people react to glutathione, so that's a whole other issue. Um, stress reduction. Um, I'm all about adaptogens. So adaptogens, we're looking at things like rhodiola, ashwagandha, maca, holy basil, reishi mushroom. Um, different adaptogens can either increase your energy. They can be soothing. They can be stimulating. They can be calming. So it's all about figuring out what adaptogens you may need. Um, so I like to say do a four-point cortisol saliva test if you think you may have adrenal issues. Um, and then things you can do in regards to overall diet and supplementation, you can take a multivitamin, check your vitamin D levels, please, always, and then make sure that you are looking at your gut symptoms. And if you're having issues, work with a practitioner in order to see what can you remove first and what can you add to help see if that will get rid of the issue. And if it doesn't, then you need to test your gut. So if someone were to want to get the GI stool mapping, I'm assuming that that's not something that you can just go to a general practitioner and get. It's probably not covered by insurance, but what is the process in getting that in place when you kind of know that there's something going on, but you want to test it first? Yeah, so you can actually self-order on MyMedLab, and different insurance providers actually do cover these different tests. So oh. I know Blue Cross Blue Shield can cover up to, I think it's like, it covers $200 of it, um, and some even will cover things like the death test and the dried hormone testing. But look into your insurance provider. See if they'll cover it. You can always self-order on your website and, re- and submit for reimbursement, but there are some practitioners that will order that for you. So don't be afraid to ask your practitioner. You have to remember that if your practitioner is not going to be working with you, you have the right to get a new doctor, a new practitioner. Um so definitely everybody's got to remember that. Your health is in your hands. You've got to be your own health advocate. And if you don't feel good, that's a sign something's still wrong. Don't ever let a doctor or practitioner tell you that you're just tired, you just need to sleep more. Uh, you have to make sure that you you take charge of your own health. Sure. So in what scenarios would you highly recommend somebody uh, does a Dutch test? If somebody has not had their hormone cycle, they've been off birth control for about four months, um, they have had their hypo, they have had their thyroid checked, they have, they may or may not have set issues, then I say, you can either do blood, and if blood looks normal, you're still having issues, then you should get a Dutch test, because that Dutch test is going to tell you what pathways your hormones are going down, and um, the serum levels, the blood levels, are not going to tell you that. So it's not going to tell you if you potentially have problems with your aromatase enzyme. You potentially have problems in your COMPS-1 pathway. Um, You have problems with phase 1 or phase 2 detoxification. So that's what's really good about the Dutch test is it tells you everything, and then you can strategically change up supplements or herbs to help either increase or decrease those pathways from moving. 
So can you give some examples of that? Yeah, so there are different pathways. Um, so when we're looking at COMP1, then we're looking at things like DIM that can help flow through phase one estrogen um, metabolism, then phase two estrogen metabolism. You can look into things like having proper um, B vitamins, having enough having gut health because if you don't have proper phase two detoxification that can be due to having increased levels of what's called beta glucuronidase and that can be due to having a gut infection and then low bile acid output so then you can add in something like ox bile to help with digesting your food digesting the fats getting everything moving correctly um or even pancreatic enzymes if somebody has that pancreatic enzyme deficiency um and then there's things that you can do to decrease the aromatization. So if somebody's having aromatization from testosterone to estrogen, then you're looking at different herbs that can help either decrease or increase that. So spearmint tea is one of them. Um, and then maca is another. Okay. So when you get the Dutch test, who is the best practitioner to interpret that for you? Is it an endocrinologist? Um, your gynecologist, your general practitioner, functional medicine doctor, what do you recommend once they've done that for the interpretation of it? Yeah, definitely go to a functional medicine doctor. A normal doctor is not going to be able to read the Dutch test. Okay. Okay. So um, as far as everything that we've talked about, um, is there anything else that you feel like would be um, beneficial to um, our listeners? I know the about the one question that I still don't have clear in my mind. So on the sensitivity testing, you were mentioning trying an elimination diet first. Um, what are the steps in that? And should that be guided? Uh, what does a person need to do before they um, start that process? Yes, the elimination diet needs to be work done with a practitioner. And you have to make sure that you are you're getting an evaluation of your overall diet first. You're getting an evaluation of all your hormones, your thyroid, um, how your stress levels are, because all that stuff will heavily influence how the elimination diet works. So the you asked me what is one thing, what is something that I think needs to be said? Well, that is improving your mindset because I heavily see it, specifically in my clients, people, they get stuck in being the victim and the victim mindset of like, why me? Like I'm going through all this and they focus on the negative and that actually prevents them from healing. That prevents them from being able to feel better. Mm, that will that. slow the digestion that will increase inflammation. So people have to make sure that they are focusing on their why they're counting their blessings, celebrating their wins and focusing on what they can do, not what they can't do. Specifically when somebody has adrenal issues. They'll be like, oh, why me? I can't work out. And I get it. I have adrenal issues. I've been there. But if you focus on that, you're shooting yourself even further in the foot. You have to focus on what can help you. Absolutely. help you move on. Now, what's going to keep you in a place of the victim? So for how long did you personally have to back away from exercise? And what did that look like? Um, and what are some recommendations um, that you would give people that kind of need to take a step back? I know you mentioned yoga, getting outside and things like that. But um, for our bodybuilders, <laughs> we kind of have one one speed, you know, and we kind of look to um, working out in the gym as like part of our identity of who we are. So mm -hmm. what are some steps mm -hmm. that we can kind of go through to 
get through that? And um, what are your recommendations as far as like implementing it back slowly or how does that work? Yeah. So the first thing I like to say is take a deload week. So when you're taking a deload, you're looking at doing about 75% of your normal maximum capacity and then nothing till failure. If that deload week does not do anything, then I say extend that for two more weeks. Focus on totally decreasing the intensity in your workouts, just focusing on form, just focusing on movement, and nothing till failure. I say doing this first can be beneficial because some people, that's all they need to get better. That's all they need to help with their cortisol levels. Uh, but however, some people, that's not enough. So that's when it's like, okay, then we got to totally take things out. You got to break that down to two times a week max weightlifting or even no weightlifting for some people um, and really focusing on decreasing all of that sympathetic fight or flight response and focusing on that parasympathetic. Mm, So I go person by person dependent. I focus on how, how bad are they feeling? What are their symptoms? Have we checked for cortisol? Because Sometimes if somebody has cortisol dysregulation, it can actually be beneficial to have them work out at specific periods of time. Um, I know I had a client who she had low cortisol in the afternoon. And so the best thing that she could do during that time would be to get active to help boost that cortisol level. Um, So there's things that you can do to help increase or decrease your cortisol levels. But for the most part, I like to tell people, especially if they're bodybuilders, First, start with a week off because that's going to be the easiest thing for them. Let's be real. Nobody's going to be like, oh, you know, I'm just going to straight up go cold turkey and cut all my workouts out. No. So I like to say go that deload week because that's a lot easier for people to do. Then reduce the training, reduce, um, not reduce the training, but reduce the training intensity. And then if you're still feeling bad, then drop it out, drop it all off. Okay. Now, what I did for me is, and it seems to work for me for the most part is I just decrease my overall intensity in my workouts. So I just drop down to about 75%, kind of like I'm doing a deload for a few weeks. And for me, that significantly makes things better. And I also increase my rest days. So I normally take one rest day, so I take two rest days. And that's what specifically works for me. Now, does that work for everybody? No. Some people, they are more heavily influenced by cortisol and stress, they have to have even more rest days or um, they have to totally take away that weight training and the high-density workouts. So it's all about figuring out where somebody was before you adjust. Awesome. And just real quick on cardio, I mean, I know my philosophy is that I try to have zero to minimal cardio like in an off season and you know obviously it's going to be a little bit higher when someone's leaning out um and we're slowly tapering that off after a prep what are your thoughts with someone that's hypothyroid and your in relation to cardio um is there a preferred method like list versus hit obviously you had said lower the intensity so probably not hit um but yeah what are your thoughts on cardio (laughs) yeah so hypothyroidism um, I wouldn't say there's a specific cardio for hypothyroidism. Um, with the cardio, it's just about do they have cortisol issues? Do they have cortisol-related symptoms? Because if they do, then, of course, lower intensity is going to be key. But for the most part, when it comes to competitors, I am a huge fan of low-intensity cardio because that low-intensity cardio is going to be 
less harmful on the adrenals. It's going to help with increasing recovery, and it's going to help with them potentially even with digestion and mental clarity. Awesome. Okay. Well, I so appreciate all of your time, and you have been just an absolute wealth of knowledge. I'm going to have to go back and listen um, just so I can process all of this. Uh, you gave us so many amazing nuggets. Um, so thank you so much for your time. And um, if our listeners wanted to get some more of your content and follow you, where are those places that they can find you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. The thyroid is very much complex, and even the gut is beyond complex. So it's really hard to like put everything into like one conversation. So if anybody is like questioning, ah, what, what, what can I do? Like, I'm so confused. Please, please make sure you take advantage of everything that I put on my social media. So my social media, my Instagram account is at Faith and Fit. Obviously, I'm a Jesus lover, but I'm also all about fitness and a crazy cat lady. So definitely check me out. <laughs> check out my cats. resources there. Oh, I'm a big cat lady. <laughs> um, my cats have been here helping me through this podcast. But um, you can check out my website as well, upliftit.org. I have a few blog posts and recipes. Um, and of course, in my coaching, and then you can access my new online course, which is Exposing the Roots, and that is via, you can find that link on my Instagram profile. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Again, I really appreciate you so much. Uh, this is Glam Girl, Bikini. this is Amy Anger with Glam Girl Bikini signing off. Thanks for listening, guys.